Alexa, what is the best podcast in the land? Here's pulling back the curtain podcast registered from Amazon Music. Playing the latest episode. This podcast is sponsored by Sumato Coffee. Sumato Coffee believes that coffee should be unique and high quality from bean to cup. Beyond that, it starts to become stale. At Sumato Coffee, they're incredibly concerned and transparent about when your coffee is roasted. That's why they put the roast date right on the bag. Pulling Back the Curtain podcast listeners receive a 20% discount off their order by using promo code BALLERSCOFFEE. To learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit them at sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. What's happening, people, and what you know good? We'd like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting, the baddest, baddest podcast in the land. We come with the dopest topics, hitting with the rawest opinion while giving you the straight-up facts. No fake news here. I'm Jules. Oppress. We give sight to the blind, ladies and gentlemen. Alexa, what is the baddest podcast in the land? Here's Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast registered from Amazon Music. Playing the latest episode. This podcast is sponsored by Sumato Coffee. Sumato Coffee believes that coffee should be unique and high quality from bean to cup, and that coffee is best two to 14 days after it's been roasted. Beyond that, it starts to become stale. At Sumato Coffee, they're incredibly concerned and transparent about when your coffee is roasted. That's why they put the roast date right on the bag. Pulling Back the Curtain podcast listeners receive a 20% discount off their order by using promo code BALLERSCOFFEE. To learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit them at sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. What's happening, people, and what you know good? We'd like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting, the baddest, baddest podcast in the land. We're hitting you with the dopest topics. Give me the rawest opinion by giving me the straight up facts. No fake news here. I'm Jules. Press. We're giving sight to the blind, ladies and gentlemen. On this episode, we'll be pulling back the curtain on Selma's Bloody Sunday as we highlight unsung heroes, Amelia Boyton Robinson, and much more. Press, what's popping, baby? I'm doing real good over here, man. I, uh, I want to introduce uh, my co-host from the Bear Citrus podcast, A-Dub, on here. He's pulling up with us as well uh, to talk some of this NBA talk. This dude's a big hoop fan, so audience, uh, this would be a good little uh, segue before we get into the meats and potatoes of the episode. A-Dub, talk to him, bro. Prez, Jules, thank you guys for inviting me to the uh, to the podcast. Yes, I am the co-host of uh, DBE, the Barry Citrus podcast. Uh, if you fans out there, please get a chance to check us out when you get a chance. Again, fellas, thank you for allowing me to join you. For sure, for sure. Uh, I know oh, Jules. Man, anytime. I know Jules. He said he uh, caught a little bit of the draft, but hey, Deb, I want to get your thoughts, man. Talk to our audience on what you thought about the the number four pick getting Pat Williams from Florida State, man. Man, I thought that was a big pick. I know there are fans out there who were concerned, who didn't know who Pat Williams is. Uh, that's okay. The thing is, AK knows him. Mark E knows him, and of course, <laughs> Doug knows him. <laughs> a little bit about him, man. I mean, if you've been following Florida State, this kid, man, can play some ball, can play some defense. He actually has a frame. Look at his frame, man. He's already NBA ready. You take a look at him as far as his body goes. Um, he loves to play defense. He has all the tools, all the mechanics. 
you look at this Bulls roster right now, you look on our squad, you say, who do we have that's a great defender? We don't really have that. This kid here can be that. He's always drawing comparisons already to um, Kawhi Leonard. He's drawing comparisons to Jimmy Butler. I mean, this kid continues to develop. The ceiling is pretty high for him, So, especially on that offensive side. So I'm telling you guys right now, as this kid continues to grow, get some time out on that floor, I'll tell you right now, he has a chance to be a really good player in the NBA. So just watch him. Let's watch his development. But one thing I want you all to pay attention to as well when you watch him play, look at his mechanics on defense. I mean, his IQ is there. He knows how to play defense. He knows how to use, use his athleticism. So you got to watch him from that standpoint. And also on weak side, this kid can come and get some blocks, man. You get beat, he can come over and get blocks. So he's pretty quick off his feet on that. Very good help defender as well. And actually a pretty good on-ball defender. And you know in this league here, the small forwards are pretty small forward to guard, are pretty tough in this league. So this yeah. brings a little bit of um, um, adversity, uh, diversity around the standpoint of what he can do to guard multiple positions. Yeah, A-Dub, another thing I was going to run over to you about this pick. So a lot of people had a lot to say about the fact that he didn't start in college. But one mm-hmm. of the things that I thought about that was it doesn't matter because he closed games. And I think that we put too much emphasis in sports on who starts versus, you know, whatever. Because the kids still averaged like the fourth highest minutes on his team last year. Yes. And we all know, and we we don't do this on DBE, but stats don't always tell the whole story. Because if you look at this guy's numbers, most people will look at it and say, how did he get to become a number four pick? But a lot of the intangibles that you brought up, the guy has elite size. He's got an NBA body already. Yes. And so I think that's really, really key. And, and, and to your point, I trust AK. So if this is the guy that he and Billy Donovan have kind of circled and said, hey, he's the one that we're going to take a shot on, he's going to be a project player. But I will tell you one thing. I saw what he did with that Denver team. So I'm going to get a guy to benefit of the doubt. Absolutely. And one thing people don't talk about when it comes down to Patrick is that when he was in um, West Charlotte High School, people don't realize he played point guard there as well. He didn't play a senior point guard-wise because, of course, he kept getting bigger and they were facing a lot of double teams. So he pretty much put him off the ball a little bit to free him up. You know, but the thing is, this kid has some tools, some offensive tools, right? If you ran point guard in high school, that's pretty good. You didn't play one year of college, right? So right. you want it done. So really, he got some things that can transition over to the league and also a good place where he can continue to develop that, to evolve that game. And that was one of the things that AK said as well. He said that he's got very underrated ball handling skills. And there's a lot of that we didn't see when he was at Florida State. And let's also think about this. That Florida State team was really good. They were 26 and 5. Yeah. So if this kid was finishing games on a team like that, then that shows you a little bit about what his coach thought about him and his play because he was the youngest kid in this draft. Well, one of the youngest, yeah, 19 years yeah. old. Yeah, definitely yeah. one of the youngest for sure. And the thing is, like you said, Perez, when you play on the team with older guys, you know how this goes, even growing up, right? It, you got to earn their respect, right? And the thing is, to come in as a freshman to play on the Florida State team that's trying to win a championship and to get some time, some minutes in like that, like he got, like you said, fourth on the team, that shows you his growth. And the thing is, it shows you also what he did to do on the defensive end. Because, again, people raved about his defense. And when he came in, he was all about, hey, I want to guard these guys. You know, I want to guard this guy. I don't I don't care, coach. I want to I defend. He pretty much put that out there, what he wanted to do. So um, this kid here, man, is the truth. I'm glad you guys are breaking it down, man, because I had a hard time when I heard and I saw a little bit about this draft. And I'm glad you said the stats don't always mean everything because when I heard this, this brother right here, you know, uh, uh, what, he, what they say, the average, what, nine points a game or something like that or, or, or yes. four, four boards or something like that. I was like, man, the fuck? you know, I'm at work, I'm just hearing things and I'm like, man, what the hell? Nine points of four, what are we doing? So, okay, so pretty much, are you guys saying that pretty much the Bulls get the, got this kid because he's a good defender? 
Well, no, I think what it is is AK. It just this is just my two cents. I think the AK is targeted two-way players. The kid obviously right. played defense, but I think he could grow into the role of being a decent scorer too. Okay. We just didn't get the chance to see that with him in college a lot. And he also has mm-hmm. a, a high basketball IQ. And he was six men of the year in the ACC last year, which is huge. I mean, ACC is a great conference for football. So that was something that I really liked. And I'm just saying, if we could get more players that can have this two-way skill set, I think that's where the league is kind of shifting to. Adel could probably speak about that a little bit further. But I would just say there's a lot of elite, elite wings in this league. And I think that drafting a kid like this could just help us to have somebody that could defend some of those type of players in, in the NBA. Absolutely. Because you look at the Bulls roster, we don't have that really two-way player on the team. You need that diversity, right? That kind of a diversity on the team right there for somebody who can guard these elite guys. I think, you know, Patrick can be one of those guys who can guard the elite players, elite players, I'm sorry. And I think uh, if you talk about somebody who can guard LeBron, somebody who can guard Kawhi, KD, right? Mm. These guys who are very good, great basketball players, right? You need somebody on your team. Because if think about the Bulls, they were they were pretty much a poor defensive team last year, right? So you need somebody who can do that, who can come in and match up. And this kid can fit the bill as, as well as, as him continues to develop, right? And I think with him developing his offensive game, which I think he will do, I'm not saying he's going to be superstar status. I don't know, right? We got to wait and see. But as he continues to develop that, that's going to help this team to go a long way because we do see a big ceiling for this kid around that. And his offensive game, if you watch him at Florida State, you will see the guy got some tools. He didn't show a lot of flashes, but I mean, the one, the two, the two dribble pull up, he got that. He can get to the basket as well, you know, one on one. And he actually had, he can pass as well. So people didn't really see all that, but he can really pass. If you watch him through double teams, through zones, the guy can find open guys. So uh, again, that comes back for him playing point guard in high school. You know, he got some ability to do that. So again, we're going to watch and see how to continue to evolve with them. But I'm telling you right now, I like that pick. Yeah, I do too. Uh, the only thing that I could kind of nitpick with the pick, uh, A Dub and, and Jules. I thought his release on his jump shot. So I, I, as soon as they made the draft pick, you know how I am mm-hmm. with the with the film work, uh, A-Dub. Yes. I, I started looking at some of the film, and I said, damn, this kid's release on his jump shot is real slow, right? It is. Um, I'm wondering mm-hmm. if that's an area that Donovan and those guys can help him to improve upon. Because he's got to be able to get that shot off. Absolutely. And the thing is, they're actually going to help him with that. His jump shot isn't bad as far as when he sets shot right. He can hit the three. You know, again, he didn't shoot a lot of them at all in college, but he can hit it. You know, he's, you know, it's pretty, if you combine his college and high school, you can say the guy can shoot a little bit. Uh, but the thing is, like you said, the mechanical on his shot has to change a little bit. And I think they're going to help him develop that part of it. Because I think if you look at Kawhi Leonard, Kawhi Leonard's shot kind of changed a little bit over time frame as well. So it I did. think with a little work on his mechanical on his shot, his release, and also, he's going to have to work on a little bit of his core as well at the bottom. So I think this one also happen with lateral movement and things like that. Once he continues to work on that with these NBA guys, I think he's going to help him out. So, and I think his form is going to change a little bit over time. So give him another year or two, you're going to start to see that uh, his game is starting to polish a little bit more uh, from a jump shot standpoint. He does have a really good mid-range shot. And so I like that uh, Kawhi Leonard uh, comp that you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. Yeah. Because what it looks like when I was watching a couple of the games from Florida State, he likes to set up on that right elbow, and he mm-hmm. seems to be pretty muddy there. And I think that with Billy Donovan as our coach now, I can see them probably putting a few wrinkles into the offense where they can kind of take advantage of where he likes the ball. You know, and with Boylan, it, it seemed like last year he didn't want those guys taking mid-range shots, but I think Billy Donovan will set these guys up where they can be in positions to actually make an impact out there on the court. 
Yeah, and I think so with him. You know, if you run him off the three, he'll he'll take that two dribble pull up, and that's what I like about his game as well. Because what I always tell cats when I coach, hey, the mid range is always open, baby. <laughs> you know? okay. Okay, so, yeah, man. Hey, look, I'm telling you right now, if that kid can shoot that mid range. That's a plus. Oh, he goes okay. And I mean, that's a good point, man, because the thing about it is mm. we're, we're getting away from that jewels in the NBA right now. There's been such a love over the three-point shot where these guys oh, yeah. are basically passing up mid-range shots. They're passing up fucking layups to kick it back out for a guy to shoot a three. Yeah. Well, well that's why they call it the loss of the mid-range jump because a lot of cats, the game is changing. It was a, a, a post-game back in the days. Now it's shooting, shooting half courts now. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that that mid range jumper, man. That's yeah, it's essential, man. It's essential part of the game, man, and and, and lost part of the game. So we gotta bring that back. Yeah. Like, hey, you guys talking like, hey, if he come in and hit those mid range jumper, hey, he golden with me. Defense, <laughs> like you guys say, you already got a, you already got a good uh, NBA body, six eight, two twenty five, seven foot wingspan. So yeah, hey man, I can't I can't wait to see what he can do and transition and develop and stuff on on this on on this court. And the thing is. This is why I don't want people to judge him on. Don't judge him on his rookie year yet, man. Get a guy a chance, right? So right. I think oh, yeah, you got to grow. Judge. You got to yeah. grow. You know, because Kawhi Leonard, right? He didn't get judged on his rookie year, really. It's like, hey, let these guys grow first. Judge him year mm-hmm. two, three, whatever. Let's see how he involved, right? But I don't want anyone to get all over, like, oh, these other guys in the draft playing better than him on his rookie year. Don't don't worry about that, guys. Wait. Let's wait and see this kid evolve first before you all make your judgments, mm-hmm. okay? That's absolutely fair because the thing about it is, you know what I really liked about this pick, guys? I like the fact that we kind of struggle with wing depth on this team. Now, I'm not going to pick on him too much, but Otto Porter, he's been on milk carton. He doesn't play. The guy spends more time kicking it at the clubs pre-pandemic than he was <laughs> even showing up to games, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we okay. also have Denzel Valentine, who, for whatever reason, Boylan didn't like playing, which I thought Denzel Valentine was actually a solid player. I did see that they re-signed him for one year. So let's see what he can do in the office. But then we also had Chandler Hutchison, who was a, a talented, athletic prospect, who we've also seen has been hurt a lot. So when you look at that wing depth, A-Dub and Jules, I think this draft pick Williams is going to be really helpful for us because this is an area where we've been hit by a lot of injuries in the past last couple seasons. Yeah, I agree with you from that standpoint, from an injury standpoint, been hit with. But the thing is, he also adds to the versatility of the team, you know? Something that's missing because I tell you right now, if you look at the Bulls, you know, with Otto Porter, you know, which I thought, I, I, of course, we all knew Otto Porter was going to opt into his contract, right, for that money. That's he'd no be, doubt. He'd have been a fool if he didn't. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> hmm. So with that, you got him. You got him out there, probably going to start right. So you talk about Kobe, who might start as well. I think people were looking at him potentially taking that point guard spot. You have Zach Porter, Laurie, mm-hmm. Wendell Carter, right? You got those guys probably going to be a potential starting five. But with that, if you bring in a guy like you know Patrick Williams. He can pretty much come in for Porter, Laurie, or Wendell Carter because again, Laurie can slide mm-hmm. into the center. You know, Porter can slide into the power forward. He can come in small forward or play part of power forward as well. So you got that versatility with those guys right there that you can work with. Which means this kid should get a lot of time on the floor. That's all I'm saying, really. So learn yeah. and continue to grow. So this could be pretty good for our dynamics, right? We're gonna see how this, you know, how um Billy Donovan, you know, maneuvered through his um his team and how he actually um decides to um. To the sub, and we're going to get a good good idea how you work that process. Yeah, because to your point, this kid can't guard the one through four spots. Uh, yeah, so that that's going to be really that's so from a versatility standpoint, you're absolutely correct with that. Yep, and I've seen him because he got beat sometimes though from some from some fast guards. But one thing I like about him though, bro, when he got beat, he was able to recover with his athleticism. So that's a that's a good sign. Yeah, and you also mentioned that help side defense. Let's just be honest, fellas. 
the Bulls defense outside of those pit bull, pit bull uh, guards and Wendell Carter Jr. was kind of lacking last season. So if we got a guy like that to kind of help out like a Zach Levine, who's not known as being a strong defender, right. that's going to be an added plus mm-hmm. for this ball club. Absolutely. And the thing is, I'll leave you guys with this here. I thought the Bulls, the Bulls thought Otto Porter would be a good defender for them when they got him from the Wizards. Um, he hasn't really turned into that kind of a guy, really. Um, he's pretty much looked better as playing a stretch forward than he does playing a small forward. So, yep, um, yep. but with that, you know, with this kid coming on board, maybe he can help fill some of that void. You know, Patrick can fill some of that void from a defensive standpoint um, if given an opportunity to play a lot of minutes, which I hope he will, which we believe he will too. No, I definitely agree with you there, man. And I, and I definitely love the fact that you came on and definitely really uh, came in here and gave us Bulls fans and also our listeners that are Bulls fans some hope because there was a lot of negativity that was going on online about this pick. And I just said, look, even though just because you guys haven't heard of this guy, that doesn't mean anything. Uh, because I know going into the draft, I wanted the Bulls to go after LaMelo Ball. Mm-hmm. And that was just my mm-hmm. personal uh, you know, pick. But when I saw a little bit more of this Williams kid, I said, look, this guy right here is an unknown, but he could be a huge steal. And if if AK is the one making this pick, I'm all for it. Absolutely. Oh, well, you know, I just think, like you say, uh, people just don't know. Some some things just people just don't know about and just get wind of something or somebody says something, they kind of just piggyback off of and just don't really understand. And that's why it's important that we have these topics and in, in this discussion where where somebody have insight, people who have insight can break it down so people can get a full understanding of it. Like I'm like you, prayers man. I I was hoping that uh that the Bulls would get a uh, Obi. Yeah, when I, I found like out he went, he went yeah. eight. Yeah, yeah, because we had talked on the previous uh pod. I was saying I was hoping they they get Obi because he he went what number eight. Yeah, and I was next. like, man, yeah. listen, I, I'm not I'm not getting paid the big bucks to 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 draft and and look at create you know what I'm saying players and stuff like that. So I'm leaving it to the professionals. <laughs> they know what they're doing. <laughs> so, so maybe they know they know they know a hell of a lot more than I do. So hey, you know what? So we're just gonna wait and see. Like it's like uh uh A dub said, man, we give it a couple years, man. And and man, hey, I just can't wait to get get on a winning streak and man, playoffs and bring some championships back to the shot. <laughs> Absolutely. That's exactly it, man. Because like for me, I love AK and the sister. He was watching the last dance just like all of us. And it fired him mm-hmm. up and as, as a new executive. And I know that it fired all of us up watching Jordan and those guys mm-hmm. behind the scenes. Like, so my thing is this. I'm going to give AK the benefit of the doubt. Every move that he makes, I'm not going to question anything because I've already seen what he's done in his short time as the, the president of operations. And I've been very impressed with what he's done. Yeah. And one thing I'll say about AK that um, you all may have picked up on as well. AK looked at this current roster and said to himself, what do we need as a, as, as a team to stay competitive? Well, at least try to get competitive and play with these other teams. What's missing? And when he picked, I'll tell you, when he picked Patrick, he thought about, okay, we're missing a guy who can defend. He knew that already. You know, if you want the worst defensive teams in the league, you know you're going to need defense, right, guys? You know that already. Right. So how do you get that? How do you get that, right? Either you either trade for it or you draft for it. So uh, in this case here, I thought he did a very good job at drafting for it and also looking at potential what this guy can possibly be in the future. No, that's absolutely that's absolutely great. And hey, man, thank you so much, man, for for coming on and, and talking bulls with us, audience. We're gonna have a dub come in in the future. We have like major sports type of uh, things just to kind of mix up and, and bring somebody in here that definitely has a passion for for hoops and for football. So, a dub again, thanks for joining us, brother. Yes, sir. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate you guys. Yes, sir, man. Hey, dub, appreciate you. So, Jules, man, that was cool. And like you said, man, you know, we'll, we'll see how this thing goes with the Bulls. But I will tell you one thing. This has been the first time and probably I would say at least four or five years where I've been 
excited about the direction of the uh, of the organization. Um, so for me, man, I'm just looking at this whole situation and just like, I just feel like, hey, man, we we might be onto something here with AK, and if he can keep making like these really good draft picks, and then you never know, there could be a trade or something that could comes down to the pipes at some yep. point. So yeah, there's a lot of things that we could be excited about as fans. I can't wait. I know one thing. What uh, what Adel was talking about, and you was talking about, man, the, the Bulls is a, a a big team. Yes, they got length and stuff on that on that squad, man, and if they Allocating and and, and 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 do some good with it. man. They can be some dogs now. Yeah, we just need to get an identity, and, and, and identity, and get some uh, toughness and some aggressiveness, man. We, hey, I think the Bulls is up and coming. Uh, people, just wait and see. Yep, that's right. Watch them work. AK's gonna get a dog <laughs> for us. He gonna get a dog for us. Well, before we get into the nuts and bolts of the episode, I would be remiss if I didn't, and we did it touch on what Donald Trump has basically been doing this week. And uh, and you guys remember on <laughs> episode 29, I told you guys to be prepared for the bullshit, right? Jules, we've been seeing that all week, right? We're seeing where he's mm-hmm. had his lawyer, Giuliani, going on TV, going on interviews, and basically calling into question the uh, the election. He's also asking for votes to be thrown out in counties that are basically predominantly African-American. So now we're seeing mm-hmm. where you, he's basically, in a, in a nutshell, basically saying these votes should account because they're illegal. And if they didn't have those votes uh, in, in the registry, then Trump will win, you know, the state of Michigan. Right. And so now we're seeing all this mm-hmm. kind of bullshit manipulation that they're trying to do. And so, audience, we just definitely wanted to kind of chat about this for a little bit because we're starting to see a man that's desperate, <laughs> that's running out of things to do to to uh, to mm-hmm. stay in power. That's all it is. That's all it is. The only thing is, you know, people have to report it, you know. So you see it on the news and newspapers and Google and all on your phones and everything. And it's it's a desperation tactic. That's his plan on trying to steal the, you know, steal the or try to steal the the election. <laughs> By I mean, it's a done pretty much. It's a done deal. Nothing he can do or say recounts. I think Georgia already recounted it and said Biden's still the winner. Yeah, they did recount. Yep. I mean, he got to resort back to this to keep himself relevant and keep the hope alive to his constituents and stuff like that. But it's a done deal. I mean, so what's his plans? Keep many Democrats uh, away from voting, take away votes from the mail-in if if it if yeah. it wasn't at, Black you know, if it wasn't. Yeah. If it didn't come in before, was it before eight o'clock or, or count it after Eight o'clock or something should be disqualified. And <laughs> Prez, I don't even know. What, I don't even know what to say on it. I mean, it's just it is what it is, man. I mean, dude, you, you lost. Like we said last time. Listen, bro, you have four years. Have a good Thanksgiving. Have a good Christmas. And just on Jan- on January twentieth, whenever the inauguration is, just shake the man hand. You ain't even got to concede. Unconcede. Well, you, you know, know what? what? That would be that it would be the, that would that would be the honorable thing to do. But you know what? We're it, it showing we're right. seeing his true colors, right? Right. He's not going to do it. So I'm not even looking for him to do it. Just this is my take, man. Where are the Republicans at right now? I'm like, you guys see what this guy's doing. And they've been really silent. And that says a lot because I always tell you this, Jules, Mm -hmm. when things are going on, you watch the people that aren't saying anything. Those are the ones that you need to be worried about because they see all this stuff that's going on and they haven't done anything to step in and just say, hey, you know what? This isn't right. I think Mitt Romney was about the only one that kind of spoke out against what Trump's been doing. 
But this guy's basically okay. trying to undercut our democracy. I don't understand why more people aren't outraged by what he's doing, because he's turning the election and our democracy into a total joke by what he's doing right now. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah, I, I think I heard in the report on CNN, one of the reporters was saying some Republicans don't want to, they don't want to go against them, sure, go against them in public because Trump still have a lot of pull. Right. And for them to get in office and stuff, they want they need him. You know what I'm saying? So they be, you know, good on when they run and stuff like that to keep their Senate seats or whatever the case may be. But still, you know, right is right and wrong is wrong. And I feel that the Amer- pretty much majority of the American uh, public see that, okay, this is just wrong or what's going on. And if you stand up against it, even if you're the only person that stands up against it, dude, you're a leader. That's right. I mean, it, if you see something is wrong, don't go with it and say, oh, you know what, in the public eyes, you, you know, you go with it, but in, in closed door, you say, man, this is wrong. You then this when you talk all your stuff then. Then dude, then you're not a you're not a true leader, man. A person, whoever is right and wrong, will stand by their by by their own own stuff, no matter what. That's right. No matter what. So yeah. I I just why I tell people if if you can't, if we can't, you know, saying agree, disagree, or come together and say, hey, listen, man, you come to this person, Trump, and say, hey, listen, man, this ain't this ain't cool, bro. Just or however you want to say it. And you should be you should be able to do it. And he shouldn't have no no hard feelings about it. And it's like, okay, well, you know what? Since you act this way towards it, then you're gone. Because he did that to one of, what, what was the uh, president of the uh, Voters Administration, something like that, he fired because he said it wasn't no foul play in, in what was going on in the election. That was the uh, the director of uh, cybersecurity who said it was the cybersecurity. most- Cybersecurity. Uh, yeah, he said it was the most, the safest uh, election that they've ever had in the history of elections. And Trump fired him the, the next day. And he fired him. So that's why that's the hey, that's the answer. That's why people ain't going up. Man, I mean, people are afraid of the backlash of what he'll say and this and that, but they they shouldn't. But you know what? I think that guy was a hero because, in a sense, he stood up to him. Because the thing about it is, we all know this about Trump. He's a bully. He's one of those people that he has a little power now, and he's basically gonna use that to rail people whichever way it goes. And to your point, I agree with you, man. I think that. Those Republican people, they know behind closed doors that this shit is uh, uh, is fucked up. Oh, yeah. But they're mm-hmm. not going to say anything because guess what? They're trying to protect their positions. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that's why none of this stuff really is ever going to change because you have all these politicians that say that they want to help the people. But guess what? When the people need your help, you're quiet. You know what I'm saying? And so... That's why I feel like you do when you say these politicians. A lot of times I'm just kind of like, eh, you're not going to do anything because when we need one of you, because when we need one of you to stand up and and stand up for what's wrong and and stand up against what's wrong and stand up for what's right, you're somewhere in your million dollar mansion home, quiet as fuck. They're good. They're good. And I don't understand why is it so damn hard? It's it's not hard. I I don't know. Well, another thing, too, Jules, that kind of troubled me was, did you see where uh, Trump invited uh, some of those uh, people from Michigan uh, to, to meet with him? Yeah, the Republican to... um, Party from yeah. Michigan. Yeah, he asked yeah. those he asked those guys to, to come in and meet with him yesterday. And my whole thing mm-hmm. is, meetings like that are illegal, right? Because my thing is, he's obviously meeting with these individuals to see what they could do to kind of help him to win, right? I believe from what I saw was that the Michigan uh, 
uh, election officials certified the election after they basically got bombarded with a bunch of voters who didn't like the fact that they were second guessing certifying. And then like a couple mm-hmm. of days later, they tried to rescind the certification, but I guess it didn't work anyway. Cause I think Trump was in contact with them as well. Cause he thanked them for basically what he was saying was uh, they were basically trying to make sure that nothing illegal was going on and blah, blah, blah. So it's, this has all been a big giant mess. And the one thing I would just say is the election was supposed to be the thing in our democracy that's sacred. And I just don't mm-hmm. see how anyone could just sit back and, and really look at what's going on right now and be on board with this kind of behavior. No, you can't. You can't. Now, I, I, I do, like like we talked previously on, on, on the show, if there's a close vote, there's a close count, and if you want to recount, he's, he's good to do so. This isn't right to do so. But when you make a mockery of this, and then expect people to kind of drink this and 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 shove it down. It's go, it's a hard pill to swallow because it's like, wait a minute. It's a simple thing to do. You you you're who you want for president, who you want for vice vice president. You fill it in, you sit it in. Either if you're standing in the thing or you're mailing it, or, or wherever the case may be, it's simple. Now, I'm pretty sure these people know that Trump was gonna be up their butts if some anything is out of out of pocket. And I'm pretty sure they know it and they say, no, we got to get this thing right. Now, it, was it perfect? I don't think it was perfect, but it was good for what was going on with COVID and stuff like that. I think they handled it quite well. I Something, think, I think you so know too. what I'm saying? I, I think they so handled too. it quite well. If we, if if something like this will ever happen, then I'm pretty sure it's going to be better and better. But, bro, it it, it is what it is. Take, Dude, the, take we, the L. Take the L, fam. I mean... Right, like I said earlier, you don't even have to conceive. Just, just take the L. If there's some close ways, but even if it was close ways, man, the damn, the damn points, the score was what three oh nine to two thirty. Man, he he had no chance because even okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it simply like this for our listeners. Let's just say okay, fine, they give him Michigan. He's gonna have to go to four or five other different states. To have them switch everything for him to even have a chance to win. <laughs> so exactly. what are we talking about? <laughs> exactly. That's why it's like, that's why it's just, come on, man. Just <laughs> give up. <laughs> like you said, even if he did get Michigan, dude, you're down 307 to 230. Dude, you need 270. Right. And you're Michigan not getting to another state. <laughs> right. You're not getting right. You're not getting it. You're not getting it. Man, I man, this right here is just. You know, like it's dirty politics, man. It's dirty tricks, and it's and it's it's shameful. And more people, more Republicans, and hell, just people in general need to come out and just say, "Dude, come on, come on, yeah. just get just give it up, give it up." And then they they filed a, probably about twenty to twenty five lawsuits that they all got basically yep. thrown out, and, and they lost those. So it's like not only are they wasting time by getting these lawsuits on the docket, but you had Giuliani. He was a sweating mess on TV talking his shit and had his hair dye dripping all over the place. He just looked like a damn fool. And I'm like, yeah, what are you doing, bro? What are you doing? It's nothing. You have you guys have nothing. You going on TV talking about, yeah, we put in all these laws and stuff like that. Dude, people looking like, man, you got no, there's no evidence. No, none at all. That's why the lawsuits have been thrown out because they said there was no evidence at all. It was just claims and allegations, you right. know. <laughs> that's not how the, the legal system works, you know? Now, I've been in, right, I've been in the legal system over 15 years. 
ain't never went to court and testified, and I ain't have any evidence. Hell, it ain't even gonna go nowhere. <laughs> they gonna look at me like, what, you ain't even got nothing. What, what we doing what here, going? officer? <laughs> right. Uh, I, I thought, you can't go in there talking about I thought. Right. I feel. <laughs> yeah, I feel and stuff like that. Oh, man, bro, man, this right here, man, I... Let me, let me run this by you, Jules. This is just my, okay. this is my little two cents. And I w- want to see what our okay. audience thinks. If you guys disagree, you get order to find us on social media. Uh, but I think this is just going to his playbook. I think he's trying to cause as much chaos and confusion as possible. And I think he knows that there's no way that he can win. And I don't even think oh, at yeah, this point, knows. I think that at this point, I don't even think that's sort of that's what it's about for him anymore. I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to muddy the waters up for Biden even more. And I think he's trying to basically mess up what Biden is trying to do and try to get things in order when he takes over. The fact that he still hasn't conceded two weeks after the election and he continues to kind of undermine everything. To me, I wonder if there's more at play here. I wonder if, if this is more of him trying to kind of delay the inevitable, trying to distract people from what the real issue is and the fact that we know that he's got a bunch of legal issues uh, from a lot of corrupt things that he's done while he's been in office. And I'm wondering, and this is just my two cents, is he basically trying to uh, strike a deal to keep basically him from being prosecuted when he leaves office by conceding and basically stopping the nonsense that he's doing? Like, I don't know. I don't Mm. know what the end game is Mm. here. But to me, he knows Mm. that he's not going to win. So what possibly could this be? So what is it, right? What's the under, what's the uh, uh, the hidden card as 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 we playing poker? So what what we got what we get holding in our in our deck here? Because yeah. right, none of it makes sense, dude. Mm-hmm. You get you get whooped. You get yeah. whooped. Yeah. You you're not gonna win them swings. Them swing states went blue. Now I you know now you won't talk. You know you going on. You gonna try to talk the money up this this election, but you're looking like a fool. You look <laughs> like a fool. Giuliani looked like a fool. And, and, and it's messed up because people respected Giuliani, man, with, with 9-11 and stuff like that, man. He was a hero in New York. That was such man, a long time like ago. That was such a long time ago. I think people yeah, forgot about that was. version of him. Because oh, now, now we see is that version of him and the one that Borat uh, got caught. He got caught up in that. I don't know if you've seen the movie <laughs> Borat yet, but he got him caught up. <laughs> and now, and, and after watching Giuliani's press conference, I see why Borat tricked his dumb ass. I'm like, bro, get off of the TV camera, man. You sound crazy as hell. You sound crazy man. as hell. <laughs> but one of the reporters said uh, Trump. Trump reportedly said that he he was going to concede just to just to mess with the Democrats. And you know, I I can see that. I mean, yeah, I, I don't think that he's doing any of this for his base or any of this to for nah. he said to protect the the integrity of the election. No, I think this is just all a man nah. that's, that's scared, and I think that he's basically desperate right now. And I think he's basically just going yeah. to his playbook where he wants to distract people and get them to focus on all the bullshit that he's doing. And why he could buy his time to cover up all his bullshit that he did when he was in office. That's just my two cents. All right. No, no, I agree with you, and I think a lot of a lot of other people agree with you too, man. Because you sit up here and you 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 like you ain't never seen none. You ain't never seen nothing like this. And but one thing I I do not like his followers and stuff like that going out protesting and marching and stuff like that on his behalf. And like, brother, stop stop dividing it. You yes. know, the run is over. Stop dividing, man. Like like, like Biden said, and everybody said, man, it's time to unite and stuff like that. Stop pinning sides against each other, man. Be a big man. 
dude, be a big man. Go out there, tell everybody, hey, man, we had a good four years. We, we did some good things. Let's give him his credit. Before COVID hit, man, unemployment was down. Jobs was back in America and stuff like that. People were working and stuff. And, you know, he did some things as far as uh, 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 justice reform and all that. He, he did some things. Okay. All right, man. Just let's, you know, you did some things. You got your four-year run. Let's unite everybody. Come on. Let's let's stop all this bickering and fighting and 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 and, and all that. And just we got the holidays coming up. We're dealing with this COVID. It's time to unite. It's time to heal and stuff. It's time for leaders to to speak up and speak positively and spot positive messages and 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 let's get back on on everybody just uh, not not agreeing, but everybody just you know coming and communicating and kind of understanding and compromising and and. Smile at each other because, dude, this here, this this four years been it's been rough, and this year especially with COVID stuff been hell of a hell of a rough because of what's going on. Adding on with this election and all the stuff that's going, it's just too much, man. And just people are just just tired, man. Oh, I'm just gonna say this: he's doing all this nonsense in the midst of the fast rising numbers when it comes to this pandemic, right? And this false mm-hmm. spike that we're seeing. Now we got over a quarter million Americans that are dead. And now even personally for me, I have more and more friends that are reaching out to me telling me that people in their family are catching this. And, mm-hmm. and that is why on the last episode, I told all of our listeners, I will not be going to anyone's home for Thanksgiving. And while that's going to you know suck and this and that, we got to be smart with this thing. The numbers are going up. The gatherings, that's how this stuff is spreading. And we have to be smart with what we're doing with this stuff because the people that I know that are catching this thing is because they're have they're getting together for family dinners and whatnot. And I know it's hard for people; they want to be around their loved ones, but you know this thing is out of control now. With this uh, fall weather coming in, it's only going to get worse. And so yeah. we just got we got to be smart. Um, yeah, most definitely. And I would just say this, Jules: uh, when it comes to this whole situation that Trump is doing, it really irritated me in the sense that they were picking on the predominantly black counties to basically try to get those votes thrown out. And in our history, we've seen so many times where they've right. tried to suppress Black vote, right? Well, now, let's, let's mm-hmm. just think about that, right? But, yeah. And that's why on this episode, we're going to pull back the curtain on what was known as Bloody Sunday. Because what we've seen in our history is, is the fact that we've had to fight twice as hard, basically, to be a part of the U.S. democracy. When they basically were trying to call our votes illegal, because it didn't fit their narrative and it didn't help their candidate get in, you can't disenfranchise people because we've seen that happen to us in the past, right? And for African-Americans, our ancestors marched. Our ancestors fought for our right to vote. And I really love that those individuals in Michigan stood up for themselves. They kept calling those canvas officers and letting them know that they weren't going for that and that they wanted their vote to be heard and they want their vote to be counted. And that is why they had to go ahead and certify the election results for Michigan, because those people weren't playing. They weren't having it. And mm-hmm. I really love seeing that because we can't keep having these situations where people are trying to screw up our democracy and also with the black vote and basically trying to screw with that as well. I, I had a big problem with that. What's well, a slap in the face? It's a slap in the face, just like everything else. Oh well, it, because it comes from the black neighborhood, then it's then it's illegal, or something wrong with it, or you know, or people who wasn't registered registered, or it came after the fact. It's always something. Yep. Like like again, it's dude. It's not. We talking about the election. We talking about voting. 
It's not like we're going in and try to put together a rocket ship or anything like that. You're just going in and you pick a name and you keep moving. I mean, I mean, what, 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 how is it illegal? How, you know, but like I say, dirty, uh, cheap politics, uh, you know, just trying to just muddy up stuff. But it didn't work. People standing up and saying, nah, bro, you know, we ain't going. We ain't going. It ain't happening here. <laughs> no. And to that message, we're going to get into the, the nuts and bolts of the episode here because we're going to paint the picture for you, the audience, of what took place on Bloody Sunday uh, in Alabama. So as you guys know, the Civil, Civil Rights Act of, of 1964, what that did is it prohibited discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, sex, or origin, right? So basically, mm -hmm. it was supposed to work in our favor to kind of help us have equal footing and to stave off discrimination. So basically, even in hiring and promotion and firings. So this was put into uh, to, to action by Lyndon B. Johnson. It was passed in the U.S. Senate in 1964. But mm -hmm. while this was a historic and landmark act, it did little in parts of Alabama to ensure that Blacks would have the basic right to vote. So as I mentioned in the last segment, that's why I was really frustrated by the situation that was going on with this current election. Because we've seen in the past where we've had to fight so hard just to be treated as an equal, to have the basic rights of every other U.S. citizen. And during these times, even with the passage of an act to say, hey, treat these people with fairness, right? Treat them as, you know, equal. And it was still hard for people in certain parts of this country to do so. So in this part of the South back then, they just weren't going for it. They did not want us to be able to vote. They did not want us to have equal footing. And just think about it like this. In Dallas County, Alabama, Black people there made up half of the population, but yet mm -hmm. only 2% of those individuals were allowed to register to vote. So that kind of is what we want to kind of go into here with this episode, just by kind of giving you guys the snapshot, the picture of what that climate was like back in 1964, 1965. Really get you to understand that even though that that was over 55 years ago, that we're still dealing with these conditions today. And that's what we just want you guys to pay attention to as you kind of listen to me and Jules kind of, you know, go back and forth and kind of just dig deep into this story. As you putting it right there, Prez, that's some of the same things fighting for back then, fighting for now. I just want to talk about just a little bit on the how the, first, the bill was first proposed in, in 63. The bill was first proposed to John F. Kennedy in June of, uh, of 1963. You know, the legislation was given the American, all Americans the rights to be served, you know what I'm saying, as far as their facilities, open to the public, for, for hotels and restaurants, to and for the protection of the right to vote. Kennedy was moved on this because of racial tension that was just boiling up in African-American protests in the spring of 63, okay? They was even telling Kenny that if this bill doesn't pass, there might be another civil war. Now, a catalyst to all this, a, a, a spark to all this, if Martin Luther King in his speech, I have a dream speech, the March on Washington that happened in August of that same year, over 3,000 in attendance and stuff like that. He called that speech for the end of racism. Now, Prez, you, you spoke on the 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 
what was the Civil Rights Act of 64 and what Black people wanted. And it was time for all that to be, for Black people to be treated with respect and, and have equal rights as, as all American, all citizens. Since we're under America, right? They've been fighting for this for a long time. And don't forget, this is 100 years, 63, this is 100 years from Emancipation Proclamation, Abraham Lincoln. So, so Blacks been trying to fight for this uh, equal footing for, for a long time, very long time. To that one. I'm glad we come, we speaking about this because, like you say, it's relevant in, in, in today's time. Absolutely, man. Um, and the thing, too, when you think about this situation, um, the fact of a basic right for someone to be able to exercise their right to vote. I mean, that seems like so basic. And that's why in this, today's world, we have individuals that are like, oh, I'm not going to vote. I'm not going to do this. Right. Well, you're mm-hmm. taking advantage. Mm-hmm. You're taking advantage. You're not taking advantage of something that people got themselves killed for you to be able to have that basic right. Right. There's like we say all the time on this podcast, there's a responsibility. We have to do our part to live up to what our ancestors did for us, because a lot of the things that they did for us, man, it was selfless. You know, these people were not selfish. Right. They thought about the greater good and not themselves. And Mm I think that that's the big thing that we want our listeners to think about in this day and age. We got to get away from the me, me, me stuff and think about what you could do to kind of push things forward. Yes, sir, because that right there, man, I mean, we can't, black people risk too much, lost too many lives, shed too many blood and stuff like that for for this just to, uh, people to not just go out and vote and stuff. That's why it's imperative and important to vote. One of the things that I wanted to kind of talk about, so everyone has seen the movie Selma and a lot of people know the story of when you know, we crossed the bridge and when we made it to the governor's house and, you know, it was a momentous moment in Black history. But a lot of people don't know the story of what went into that. And what went into that was the events that happened on March 7th, 1965, which is known as uh, Bloody Sunday. So in this situation, Jules, and I know you probably got a lot on this as well. So what I just want to quickly just say is, we were fighting for those voters' rights. There, there were organizations that have been set up over the South in that area where they were all fighting to try to get people registered to vote, right? And it was a big push for them to be able to get that done. There were a lot of demonstrations that were going on at the time. And what ended up happening is there was an incident that happened where an individual by the name of Jimmy Lee Jackson, he was a demonstrator mm-hmm. who was trying to protect his mother who was being beaten and struck by a police officer at the time. Well, what ended up happening Mm -hmm. was is a state trooper fatally shot Jimmy in that moment, right? And it was in that moment where the civil rights leaders basically said, you know what? We're going to take this cause directly to the steps of the governor. And the governor was located 54 miles uh, from Selma in Montgomery. Okay. And Mm -hmm. basically it was their thing to say, you know what? We're going to take this march from here to his damn doorstep. And he's going to hear what we got to say. With Jim Lee Jackson, man, he was a, a, a veteran, a veteran and also a civil rights activist and stuff like that. And, you know, while on arm and, and, and participating in this this peace, this peaceful voting right uh, march, you know, that, as you said, that the trooper ended up shot and kill him, claiming self-defense. Oh, kill. Okay. Well, okay. But 
like you said, his death helped, you know, inspired the march to to uh, Selma. Jimmy Lee Jackson was a part of that that uh, organization that trying to help black black voters, residents to register the right to vote. You know, so he was trying to do his thing a while ago because that's that started. He started that. They started that uh, that uh, organization in the fifties, right? So he's been in the field for a long time with that, just trying to give black people, try to get uh, black people the right to vote and register and stuff like that, so their voice can be heard. Absolutely. So what ended up happening was as the tensions started to mount a bit, right? So as those organizations started to work together, right? Because remember mm-hmm. how we talked about in previous episodes about how those individuals back then mobilized. They were strategic, right? And with that, they had a plan of attack for how they were going to try to overcome this situation. So what ended up happening was is these organizations decided to merge together and said, we're going to go on this march together. We're going to basically go side by side and we're going to build awareness to our voters' rights um, and the fact that we don't have those rights right now in this part of the country. So the governor Wallace at the time, who's basically known as being a very you know, racist individual, what he did was he actually ordered his state troopers at the time to use whatever measures necessary to prevent a march because there were approximately 600 voter rights activists that were setting out to march those 54 miles, right? While they were marching through Selma, no one bothered them. They were fine. They were they were good to go when they were marching through their areas. But what actually happened was, Jules, is as they began to get closer to Montgomery, Right. We know that the bridge that everybody saw in the movie Selma that has uh, Edmund mm-hmm. Pettus's name across the, the right? Edmund Pettus Bridge. Yep. Yep. Well, mm-hmm. basically, when John, the late John Lewis and uh, Jose Williams, who led this this march, when they looked across the bridge, they were greeted with these state troopers that were basically had billy clubs. Uh, they had basically sheriffs that were behind them on horseback uh, that wore like riot gear. Uh, basically, they were ready for a battle. Right. So that was their response to 600 people that were peacefully demonstrating and wanting to build awareness to their rights as basic human rights to to uh, to be able to vote. And Jules, I don't know what you what you have on this, but that was kind of to me, kind of what set the stage for just what happened on this day. Well, Governor Wallace said he denounced he denounced the march. He called it a threat to public safety. He said that he would do he would take all measures necessary to prevent it from happening. There would be no march in Selma, Montgomery. That's what he said. You know, he said, Wallace said to his duty, that was his duty to protect the lives and property of our citizens. Who is he talking about? What is he talking about? You know, so those who's traveling under all that condition with his powers, he's saying that (laughs) niggas could not be permitted to simply walk along the side of the hallway because they would have to get on the pavement to get over the bridge and pass guardrails along the way. So you know what he said it right there. No matter what, they ain't marching. And like you're saying, that's what here's where we at. They stepped aside, right? They allowed the marchers to walk through. But what ended up happening was even before that part of the situation, uh, Jose Williams uh, basically said that one of these sheriffs basically told them that this is an unlawful assembly and that you need to disperse. You guys need to go back to your church or you need to go back home. 
And correct, correct, correct. basically what those gentlemen did is they stood their ground and they said, can we have a moment with you, right, to speak? The, basically, the sheriff said, we've said all we need to say to you. And then, like you said, they pushed through the crowd. And then basically what ended up happening, all hell broke loose, right? So what happened was is these individuals attacked this crowd of peaceful demonstrators, hit them with billy clubs, sprayed them with tear gas. I mean, listen to this. These are individuals that were just fighting for basic human rights, and they were attacked, treated like animals. Actually, you know what? Animals were treated better than that, the way that these individuals mm-hmm. were treated. 17 individuals ended up in the hospital. John Lewis was beat over the head multiple times in this situation. He testified in court that as he tried to get up off the ground, another sheriff walked up and hit him in the head with a baton. This is the way that people were trying to fight for their rights were treated. Just, you know what, people, just, just picture that. I mean, this ain't one of these feel-good episodes. This is an episode that happened as a part of history and a part that will happen to our ancestors and stuff back in the days when we just wanted, just, just wanted equal rights, the right to vote. Just picture this. Close your eyes and just picture you're walking, just, just, just you're walking down across, across a bridge and you met with not only state troopers, they was on horses. This was some me- medieval tactics. I mean, you look at it, how do, why do you charge? Now, a horse is, tip, is, is, you know, don't laugh at me, Prez, but a horse is intimidating just standing in front of it. Yeah, I don't like horses, bro. So <laughs> definitely intimidating me. <laughs> I mean, and for the horse and a state trooper on top of it riding towards you with a swinging a billy club, tear gas, the tear glass was so, so thick. It was choking. Your eyes is water. You can't see. Mm-hmm. Why you getting hit with a billy club? I don't know who who ever been hit by a billy club. I can, I can raise my hand, but it hurt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it hurts. Like right. you said, John Lewis suffered a concussion. Other people, seventeen people out of it was what six hundred protesters, I think. <laughs> 16, 17 of them had to go for serious injuries. People, right. people end up get concussions, couldn't see. Uh, throats was burned from the tear gas. Let's not also forget the fact that these guys on the horses were swinging whips and they had rubber tubing that was right. wrapped in barbed wire. Right. Wow. And this is for what? Trying to exercise your right to, to get equality? Oh, it's, it's insane. God. It's insane. <laughs> but what I will say, though, about this situation was the cameras actually rec- basically captured mm-hmm. all of what happened on mm-hmm. this on this day, right? And so mm-hmm. the assault was all on camera. And so what I wanted to say is why I said that there was a parallel to today. Now, we lost our brother George Floyd this summer, and it was captured on video. And I always tell you, Jules, that I hate that our trauma has to be captured on some sort of media for people to actually say, oh, man, that was wrong. That should have happened. Well, it shouldn't mm-hmm. happen anyway, whether it's on mm-hmm. video or True. not, right? True. And True. this situation was recorded. That is really what gave awareness to this situation, because when people saw these peaceful protesters and demonstrators being attacked, it really galvanized the country. People were like, this isn't right. You know, like, what are we doing? (laughs) You know, like Mm -hmm. I read where they said that there were people from all races that were calling their local uh, you know, legislators and saying something needs to be done about what's going on in Alabama. This isn't right. It's just. It's just oh, unfortunate. 
Uh, I was just going to say the only the last piece that I had on this is that thank God that those TV cameras were there because they were trying to capture the march. I'm sure they didn't think that what was going to happen with those people being assaulted was going to be a thing. But what ended up happening, though, is the film coverage from the attacks got flown to New York. And now you got to think about this. This is a long time ago. So we had no Internet and no you know, social media. Mm-hmm. So it actually took hours for the film to make it to the to TV headquarters. And then they interrupted uh, programming, uh, Sunday night programming. A lot of people were probably sitting down with their families watching the, the movie of the week. And they basically did the emergency cut into what happened with those individuals. So now you have 50 million people while they're at home watching a movie with their families and they saw what happened to these black people. And that was the moment right there that really galvanized this movement. So that's why I, in, that's why in the beginning I gave the little spark on with Dr. King and I have dream speech. It was the catalyst of this. And then the fire was, was this, this was the fire. When people see, when people saw that this is how black people is getting treated, even people of different race was like, oh, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. That was the end of it because it compelled Lyndon B. Johnson to make that speech like, hey, listen, he said we need to speak on the need of voting reform, something that activism in, in, in Selma has been long for waiting for. He said there is no issue of state rights or national rights. You know what I'm saying? There, you know, that it is only the struggle for human rights, you know, and that was a struggle for human rights for all people. And and it, like you say, it galvanized and captivate what was going on in Selma. And, and like you say, it it changed. After that, it changed. Uh six months later, the 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 art the it was vote, it was voted and it was passed and voted and and, and it was signed into uh into law. Well, I want to I want to kind of rewind back a little bit um, before you kind of got to that part, Jules. I also want to make sure that our audience realizes that after that incident where all of those individuals ended up in the hospital, beaten by those uh, by the state troopers and, and, and law enforcement, two days later, mm-hmm. Dr. King attempted another march. Uh, and basically right, right. the same result was the fact that the, they were met at the tip of the bridge by, you know, the troopers and the police again. And in this situation, what Dr. King did is they prayed and they turned around and what they did is they actually left. So they realized, you know what, this is going to be more of the same. Let's not even, you know, go through that type of an ordeal. But what I really mm-hmm. liked about this situation, though, was when I mentioned about how basically people galvanized with the cause, then you had basically allies that were working with these individuals doing those sit-ins, Right during the traffic blockades, uh, demonstrating in solidarity with the voter rights march marchers. And mm-hmm. that's the kind of stuff right there that really helped give this movement a shot in the arm. So because to, to Jules's point, Lyndon B. Johnson did act on this. However, it took a lot of things behind the scenes to get that to even be a situation because also audience don't fail to realize that Dr. King and those different communities there in the South they had to get a federal court order that would permit them to be able to protest, right? Right. So on March 21st, under the protection of the National Guard, these individuals finally were able to complete their march. So almost two weeks later, after the initial Bloody Sunday, these individuals were able to reach Montgomery. And it was a crowd of up to 25,000 people. Right, right. 
that, that reach the capital steps. Now, I want our audience to think about this. These individuals, it took them five days, but they covered 54 miles to walk from Selma to Montgomery mm-hmm. to go to the doorsteps, to go to the Capitol, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That right there in itself is commitment. They didn't let that situation go. They also strategized and mobilized to be protected so that way they didn't get their heads beat in a second time, right? They were protected by the National Guard. But let's think about this for a second. These are individuals that were fighting for voting rights for Black people. They had to go to court to get protection to be able to peacefully protest to bring awareness to something that they should have already had rights to do as human beings prior to that. I just want people to just think about what we're saying here. We're talking about basic human rights, right? And I'm just going to say this, man. That Voter Rights Act that Lyndon B. Johnson did sign into law in August of uh, 65, Mm. as Jules mentioned, that law right there is a law that I don't take for granted. And every chance that I have... Yeah, brother. Yeah, every Mm. chance I got, I will exercise that right. Me too, man. Me too. Ever since I'm old enough, to, yeah, old enough to vote and stuff. Eighteen, hey, I'm in there. I haven't missed one since. I ain't gonna tell you my age out there, folks, but it, it's, <laughs> it's been it's been a good minute. <laughs> it's been a good minute. And, and prayers. I'm glad you went back there. I got a little happy and stuff like that. You know, or, you know, a little. No, it's all good. Man, my, because, my my thing. Because I'll but, tell you uh, one thing. And nothing wrong uh, with that, man. Because I did like the fact that you did let people know. Listen. We, we, we got the finish. We got the job finished. But I just wanted to make sure that, that people kind of understood that it took them three different separate attempts before they right. finally were able to make that march. Because I know a lot of times when people have read about the Selma March or they saw the movie, they didn't realize that there were three different levels to this particular movement, right? And I just wanted to make sure that we kind of painted that picture on this, uh, on this segment. But check this out. Each other different. You had that first one, that Bloody Sunday. The next march, I believe, it was on the fifteenth, have two thousand uh, marchers. Then it rose up. What do you say, twenty five thousand on that last one? Twenty five thousand. Yep. Twenty five thousand. It increased every time. Yep. People saw what was going on and wanted to be a part of the cause. So that was monumental of of, of what was going on. Like you say, that 55, 54 mile uh, uh, hike. Hey, you ain't gonna get me walking one mile, but man, fifty four miles, man. That's the det- man. That's determination. And, and, and suits and wingtips. These guys was out there suited right. up, bro. <laughs> right. Wow. <laughs> Man, you talking about you talking about determined, dedication, consistency, all of it. All of that means relentless. All of that means we ain't giving up until we, we get what we want. That's right. And the thing about it is, we talked about this on previous episode, but what happened to that resiliency? The fact of the matter is, I've told you, we've lost a lot of fight in this community. Um, mm. We have become conditioned to accept Things is the way that they are. And I will not subscribe to that because I know where we come from. When I read these stories in history, all it does is it makes me wonder, man, what happened to us? When did we become the people that basically give up when the tough gets going? Because that's not what our history is. These individuals, no. three different attempts, bro. Three. After 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 a, 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 a butt whooping. Yeah, that was a... I mean, you think after the first one, you people are like you know what? Why don't we? And I'm pretty sure there was talks. Hey, why don't we just forget about this? Because I mean that right there, that that was like I said, it was medieval. It was medieval. 
And for some people to get concussions and going to the hospitals and stuff like that and, and, and burnt and stuff like that, I'm pretty sure they got back to that church and like, man, you know what? This ain't a good idea. But they looked at that and said, listen, the, what we experience now is nothing. If we get our calls, if we uh, t- get our calls and get it through and achieve what we're trying to get for our people in the future, our, you know, our children and children, children, all that, so they can have a better future, then you know what? We'll take some of these bumps and bruises. No, absolutely. Man. That's what they that's, that's what they was looking at. That's what yep. they was looking at. And yep. like you said, Prez, we need that same, we need that same fight today because this this fight ain't is not gonna stop. No, it's not. Uh because to think about it, we cut from we oh, go ahead, Prez. I'm sorry. I was gonna say, and I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I I feel like when you said that this fight's not gonna stop, it's not because the goalpost is always gonna move when it comes to to African Americans. Mm-hmm. And we have to be strategic and we have to mobilize and work together. That, that's all I wanted to say. I just want to continue to just make sure that people understand that that's the message that I think is that we have to be in this together. Man, more, now more than ever. Now more than ever. Man, prayers, man. This right here, man. It just just do something to you, boy. Just do something on the inside, man. I'm sorry, folks, if, you know, I know you feel the emotion here because it's, you know, you sit back, you think about what, our people went through and what we're going through now is just wow yeah and yeah and that's why we wanted to do this episode because when we look at this voter you know suppression and, and basically disenfranchisement of them wanting to throw out black votes and then you look at the parallel of this situation that was going on in, in alabama and it's just like it mirrors because it's like basically like it, why is our vote always the vote that is being fucked with right <laughs> you know, right? And you get tired, man. And man, I can't even talk, man. But I'll say this, man. One of the things that I really, really want to make sure that we highlight on this show today is Amelia Boynton Robinson. Now, she was mm-hmm. one of the individuals that was at the front of the demonstration line with uh, John Lewis and Jose Williams, and. She was actually beaten by these state troopers and, and sheriffs so badly that she was left unconscious at the scene. Now, we're talking about a woman that these men had no regard for, and they beat her. Now, these these men, and I'm loose, I use that term loosely, these yeah, men, yeah, right. they mm-hmm. have mothers, they have wives, they have daughters. The fact that they could beat a woman in that manner and leave her unconscious— like, what type of hatred and anger in your heart do you have to have to be that type of individual? For a woman that's out there fighting for basic human rights for her race. And I just want to make sure that our audience re- remembers this name because she is an unsung hero. Because this is a strong woman that knew that that situation that they were doing, they were walking into danger. And she oh. was and she was resolute in the fact that she knew that she was going to make a difference for her people. Just mm-hmm. like on the last episode when we highlighted those five brave women that were a part of ending that bus segregation in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Now this is another woman that was instrumental in making change happen. The strongness, the resiliency of this individual to go through what she went through, being beaten and left unconscious. That is what people to just think about that. Emilia, just, she started off the gate 
you know, always in a fight. She's always in it. She's always in the ring, in the, uh, in the arena. You know, she was a teacher. She taught in Georgia. She educated the country's, you know what I'm saying, population on food production with uh, nutrition, health care, you know, anything related to agriculture and homemaking. She, she, she was teaching all her life. Right. Uh, you know, her she, a few husbands, you know, came and went past and stuff and still fighting. She transferred her home into a, a place of work. You know what I'm saying? So uh, a civil, almost like a headquarters for civil for the civil right uh, uh, people to come and work and kind of strategize and think about how they're going to um, proceed this. Well, you know what I'm saying? Well, think about this, Jules. She was the one that reached out to Dr. King in the uh, Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which was the one of the organizations that were uh, responsible for the march. But she invited mm-hmm. them to come to Selma because she wanted to promote, because it was her cause with the voting rights, because our listeners may not know this, but her life work for 15 to 20 years was getting African-Americans registered to vote, right? Right. And so she reached out to Dr. King, and they all agreed to come there. And like you said, she set up her home as the headquarters for their for their uh, organization. My God. <laughs> Ooh, boy. But you, but you can't get people right now to care enough about a movement. This woman basically invited people into her whole home and turned it into a headquarters. Probably had She's people right. in and out of her house, right? Right, right. Dude, and you know what? You know what? There was a Selma had a population that was fifty percent black. Only three hundred of the three hundred African American residents was was registered. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, eleven thousand was registered. Right. Man, this this lady here, not only she walked the walk, she talked the talk. She wasn't no house mouse. She just didn't dictate or, or, or give direction or anything like that. She was not on, she was going door to door. She was making calls. And, you know, I'm saying I'm doing a little exaggerating, but I'm trying to, you know, put a little humor to this. But and and putting, you know, going out footsteps and stuff like that. And also marching. She was out there. She got, like you said, she got knocked unconscious. She suffered burns in her throat for the tear gas, for inhaling that tear gas. So she just wasn't inside. She was also outside, too. She was a soldier. Yeah, I mean, the thing about it is with somebody like this, like you mentioned, you know, she was a teacher. She was an educator. She was a civil rights activist. She was a mm-hmm. leader. But most importantly, she was a catalyst for change. And yes. the one thing that uh, her son said about her um, is that he said her commitment to civil rights was her entire life. Now, think about mm-hmm. that. You have people in this world that only worry about themselves and their particular situations. This is an individual that her whole life's purpose and, and, and mission was to improve the lives of others. That is an incredible person, and that is pretty much the resiliency that has left this race that needs to basically come back. Because that's an individual right there that was selfless and only wanted what was better for her people. If everybody just in doctor, just 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 have that mindset. But you know what? It doesn't go, uh, you know, say it doesn't pretty much go on saying because because guess what? We get we we getting there. It's gonna take a little more time, but we getting there because we talked about about Stacey Abrams. Abrams, she was going out there getting black people to go out and register and vote and stuff for, in this election in twenty twenty. You know yeah, what I'm saying? We we getting there. We got a lot of work to do. We though. getting there. But we, we got still a lot right of work to do. right. Right. I just like how 
what she did, you know what I'm saying? Like I said, what 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 uh, Amila did, Stacey was able to look at what she did and and, and just pick about and just did what she did. We've been talking about blueprint for four, for a whole month now of what, what our ancestors did back in the days that we can do today. But like I said, we gotta get that bike, we gotta get that dog back. Right. That's what it is. Right, because that, that dog's been missing for a very, very long time. Um, <laughs> but I'll just say this, man. When when you look at the situation with her, right? So she was the first African-American woman and first female Democratic candidate to run for a seat in Congress, right? So she didn't win, mm-hmm. but she received 10% of the vote, which is not bad. You hey. know you know right. what I mean? <laughs> right. You know, that, that was tremendous. And then you also mentioned, like, one of her late husbands and... She and her husband, they co-founded the Dallas County Voters League. And so that was one of the organizations that worked with uh, John Lewis's organization and worked with Dr. King's organization when they basically got together to do the march. And Mm -hmm. I would say this, uh, the catalyst for her even pushing to do a lot of this stuff was the fact that she attempted to vote numerous times and was rejected. And for her, she said enough is enough. I need to do this for my people because we need to have this basic right to be able to vote. The thing too about her is that later in life, she continued the fight. She continued to work with organizations. She was the co-chair of, of the, the Schiller Institute, right? She remained active okay. in promoting civil and human rights up until 2009. I mean, so basically that's true to what her son said about her is that her whole life purpose was civil rights because she spent her entire life fighting for the greater good of her people. What a, what a, what a, what an individual, man. What an individual. Man, my God. My God. You know what? Uh, we treat each other like we want to be treated. If everybody just have that same thought, this would be a hell of a better place. All she was doing was God, was God's work. God sent on this world to to better for just for her to be an example and be a light and to better better life. You know, she she put other people in before her. Amelia, to me, basically, I, I, I second everything you said there. But the thing that really really uh, amazed me with her, just looking back at her story, she was awarded um, the MLK Junior uh, Medal of Freedom in 1990, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in her own words at that time, she said, it's important that young people know about the struggles that we faced to get to the point where we are today. She said, because only then they will appreciate the hard uh, f- one freedom of blacks in this country. I thought those words just like to me, it gave me chills because I'm like. There's a lot of people in, in these the black youths that don't know this stuff, they don't know this history. And it's sad. And that's why these individuals probably take things like voting. They don't take it seriously. Oh, my vote doesn't matter. My vote doesn't count. Or I don't like these candidates and this and that. Fuck your feelings, bro. People got damn uh-huh. near killed for you to have the right to be an idiot. So take five minutes off of away from TikTok and stupid shit that you're doing and fucking exercise your right to vote. Right? <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Also, too, another thing about her, and you probably remember this, when Obama was president, he invited her to uh, be his guest at his State of the Union address, mm-hmm. and, he, and he honored her. Mm-hmm. And it was the 50th anniversary. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then what they ended up doing was 
Obama, uh, John Lewis, and Amelia, they actually held hands and they crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge alongside of each other on the 50th anniversary of Bloody Sunday. That right there, when I think about that, it's full circle. Now, this is a woman that was 103 years old at that time. Taken back to uh, a part of time in her life where she was beaten between an inch of her life, right? Mm-hmm. You got to think about that. You got to think about John Lewis, who was beaten into a concussed manner. Mm-hmm. And, and these individuals have the, the benefit now of being able to cross that bridge with no one bothering them. Because of what? Because of their work. Because of what they did, right? And that's right. very important. Dude, that's why, that's why back then they was looking at no. Nah, even though we could, we took these bumps and bruises, this is it's a there's a greater cause that's 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 more important than our lives. That's what they was thinking about, and for them to walk back in in, in 2015 for John and, and Brock and 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 in the middle in her wheelchair, 103 years old, to walk and and then free across that and just think about what they did 50 years ago and what they achieved and what they're able to do today, man, I, I, I probably wouldn't be able to hold myself. No. And I mean, considering still to this day that the name of the bridge is named after a white supremacist, right? But the thing about this, that bridge has now become a landmark for civil rights movement. So now it's like that white mm-hmm. supremacist person has now become a part of the civil rights movement. So I bet he's somewhere in hell right now, fucking shaking. <laughs> you know, they was talking about renaming it to John Lewis. I wonder if they still going to think about doing it. What you think about that? Man, they, they need to. They need to name it to everybody that was on that bridge fighting for uh, people to, to, to register. Yeah, you're not kidding. Those original, those original 600, right? Yeah. For Bloody Sunday. Yeah. yeah. Woo. I'm telling you, but the, the thing about it is, man, this episode here, I hope that our listeners learned a little bit about this besides maybe what they might have saw in a movie or maybe like something that they breezed over in the history books. But this story right here has many parallels. And we just want to make sure that we continue to keep putting content out there that we always say is thought provoking and it makes people understand the conditions. Now, you may not always agree with what we're saying, and that's fine. But we want to educate. We want people to walk away from this podcast learning something different, learning something that they didn't know, but also just trying to understand a little bit more whether, you know, whether you're African-American or whether you're someone from another, you know, background or race, just trying to just understand a little bit more about the history of people that maybe you didn't cover some of this stuff in your history, right? Maybe these are stories that you may be somewhat familiar with, but don't know the ins and outs of them. We want to just make sure that we're bringing a lot of these things to light because people like Amelia Boynton Robinson, this isn't a name that you're being plastered all over the history books. And I think that her mm. impact is just as strong as the impact of a Rosa Parks, if not greater. And I just yeah. think that that's important for people to uh, to realize. I'll just say this, man. This episode has been an awesome one, man. And I look forward to you and I continue to do things like this, Jules, and just really making sure that we just giving you guys things to think about on these episodes. Like I said, man, I I, I think for these, uh, these topics here are prayers, man, because this is a lot of things that, it's not in your history books, or if it is, it's not really being uh, 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 said or promoted and stuff. And and it's just a little the the 
the little steps and stuff like that and the people that are, are responsible for them that we don't know about it. I'm glad we bring them up to the light so people can under- educate and understand and know know their history and stuff, man. Definitely appreciate this. Jules, going to hit him with that curtain call, bruh. All right, this curtain call goes out to Kim Ang, who was introduced this week as the new general manager of the Miami Marlins. Kim is the first woman to ascend to the role in Major League Baseball history. She grew up learning stickball in Queens and playing in her first real youth league, which shaped her love of baseball. In 1998, the Yankees hired Kim as an assistant GM. Now, it took more than two decades for her to get promoted from assistant GM to GM. I say it again, it took more than two decades for her to get promoted from assistant GM to GM. Her first shot at a GM job came in 2005 when the Dodgers, with whom she worked as assistant GM from 2002 to 2011, considered her for the opening. Well, then came the Padres, the Angels, Giants, Orioles, and Mets. Each time, those teams decided on a different candidate. There was a point when Kim thought her chance would never come. She would finally get her opportunity when she got that call for Marlins and Derek Jeter to lead their ball club. This is a historic move and will deserve. We would like to say, Kim Ang, congratulations on your new promotion. You're an inspiration to us all, and you are a living testimony for people to look and see what you have done and keep striving until they achieve their goal. Thank you. Well said, Jules. Thanks for that curtain call, bro. As always, you can find this podcast on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Deezer. We appreciate your continued support of this podcast. Without you, we wouldn't be. We're the Pulling Back the Curtain podcast. Thanks for listening. Peace.